0: Well, good morning. I join the team in welcoming you here to Fall Festival. I'm Pastor Ray, one of the pastors here at Willingdon Church. Um, just a couple of announcements before we get going. Um, free hot dogs and drinks. Greg, you can eat hot dogs all day long till 4 p.m. Awesome. Doesn't get any better. Uh, pop is not free, by the way, but drinks are. Um, Ted, this is for you. Free activities for kids, students, and adults. Inflatable rides, balloon artists, kids' crafts, carnival games, rock climbing wall, photo booth. That's all free. Fantastic. So, enjoy the day. Enjoy the afternoon. If you're here visiting for the first time, we're really glad that you came. Maybe you're just here exploring, and as you come into a service like this, you're not even sure who Jesus is. Is you've heard the name, maybe, maybe you wonder why we worship, why we raise our hands. Know that you are very, very welcome, and maybe you consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus, but you still have all kinds of questions about life and faith and who God is and what His plan might be for your life. Know that you're welcome here as well. Uh, you know, we pray that through worship, through our prayers through the Word of God, that you'll hear God's voice to you today. We're listening to voices all the time, right? Uh, Which voices were you listening to this last week? Uh, In the news media, or on social media, or maybe in the workplace, or if you're in the educational world, in the classroom, which voices were you listening to? Which voices do you trust? There's an interesting program on NBC. It's called The Voice, And uh, the judges in that program, they sit facing the audience, and the singer that's auditioning is singing behind the judges, and the judges only turn to face the singer if they think that the singer is worth listening to, worth coaching. We're always deciding which voices we will listen to or not listen to. In our text today, John chapter 1, uh, John the Baptist is preaching a message, and a lot of people are listening to him, so the interest of the religious leaders is piqued, and they send a delegation to ask some questions of John. They ask questions like, uh, are you the Messiah? Are you the prophet? Are you a special messenger from God? And this is the way that John responds to their questions. John chapter 1, verse 23. He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. Those words come right out of Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah is an Old Testament prophetic word, book written um, 700 years before John was born. Why would he recite those verses? Well, here's John's message. He's saying God is going to unveil himself. You're going to see something spectacular in your day. Get your heart ready. Listen. Open your minds. Look. Don't miss it. Turn from being concerned about your own affairs and open your mind to what God is doing in your day. In Isaiah chapter 40 verse 9 there's a voice that says this Get up on a high mountain city of Jerusalem and proclaim good news Behold your God So imagine yourself on one of the mountains on the north shore What would God ask you to proclaim to greater Vancouver today? Would he ask you to shout out Behold your God Vancouver Wake up John says to the religious leaders that come to, to speak to him and on that day, among you stands one you do not know. Well, who is that? Let's find out. John chapter 1, verse 35. John 1, verse 35. If you pick up a Bible from the seat back in front of you, it's page 886. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So John is standing probably near the Jordan River. Two of his disciples are with him. The word disciple it means leaner, learner, sorry, follower. He gazes intently at Jesus as Jesus walks by, and he exclaims, Behold, the Lamb of God. John wants his disciples to see what he's seeing. What does that mean, Lamb of God? It's actually a prophetic statement. You see, John the Baptist and his two disciples, they were Jewish. The Jewish people, they practiced the sacrificial system based on the Old Testament, and that whole sacrificial system, it prepared them for the coming of the Messiah. The word that John uses for lamb is the same word that we find in the book of Isaiah, book of Isaiah again, chapter 53, verse 6. Let's read those verses. Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, the sin of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. So, John is saying Jesus is the one who will give his life. He will give his life as the perfect Passover lamb, he will take the sins of the world upon himself, your sin, my sin, he'll pay the price that we ourselves could never pay before God, so that the power of sin over our lives might be broken, so that we might be freed from death and the power of the evil one. So John says, behold, look, the lamb of God. His two followers probably understand something about what John is saying, because they turn to follow Jesus. Jesus. And how does Jesus respond? He looks at these two disciples that are now following him and he, he, he looks at them and he asks, what are you seeking? Those are the first words of Jesus in the gospel. Those are important words. What are you seeking? Or in other words, what do you want? What do you really want? What are you seeking today? Well, actually a really good free hot dog? Or maybe you would answer more profoundly, um, I'm actually looking for peace of mind. I'm looking for security. I'm looking for true love. Jesus, he asks good questions. St. Augustine, he lived in the 4th century, and he had understood some things about the Heart, the human heart and how it is shaped. He said three things. Here's the first thing that he said. You are not what you think and do, but what you love the most. You are what you love the most, what you desire the most, what you seek for the most, what you're most passionate about. That's who you are. Secondly, he said, the things we should love the most are often third or fourth on the list. Ray Kroc Um, he turned McDonald's into a franchise. And he is quoted as saying, I believe in God, family, and McDonald's. And when I'm in the office, the order is reversed. Augustine said, the things we should love the most are often third or fourth on the list. And then he said, thirdly, the ultimate way to change is to change what we worship, to change what we love the most. To have a heart be changed... What that heart loves the most must be changed. So Jesus is actually asking a perceptive, a profound question that will continue to come come up as we read the Gospel of John. (laughs) The disciples, this is how they respond, Rabbi, teacher, where are you staying? And maybe there's actually something meaningful in the question that they ask. Maybe they're just not sure what to ask, but maybe there's actually an inkling of a desire there. Because that word staying, it's the same word that we find in John 15, to abide. So maybe they're actually responding in this way, Jesus, where are you staying? We just want to hang out with you. We want to know you. We want to be with you. Where are you staying, Jesus? How does Jesus respond? Well, he reveals the heart of God. It's so beautiful. Come and you'll see. The sense says, if if you come and I really want you to, you'll see. One of Jesus' favorite words, come. He doesn't market himself. He just says, come come and see for yourself. The text says it's about the 10th hour. The 10th hour was 4 p.m. in the afternoon. It was the time of the main meal. So it's very probable that Jesus and those disciples, those that are beginning to follow him, they share a meal. It could be that the disciples spent the rest of the day with him. What's so remarkable here, what's so beautiful, is that Jesus invites them into relationship. And this is what is completely unique about Christianity. God is personal. God's personal. Jesus invites us to know him. To know him. The first thing Andrew does, he spends that day with Jesus, the first thing he does is go and find his brother Simon. You know, when we discover something that's exciting... We want others to know about it. We talk to our relatives. We talk to our friends. My daughters, I have three daughters. When they were young, I loved to show them places that I found interesting, places that I thought beautiful. Now they've grown up. So this summer, my youngest daughter, she uh, said to me, Dad, we have to go to Cyprus We have to climb Cyprus and go up Black Mountain, and at the top there's Cabin Lake. We can swim in the lake, and then we can go down to Eagle's Bluff. The view is amazing, and so we went, and it was beautiful. Some other friends, they uh, invited us to go up the Sunshine Coast. Uh, They talked about Princess Louisa Inlet. We'd never been there, so on the way up, I'm reading this book by an American lawyer who's also an author, Bob Goff. And he talks about Princess Louisa Inlet as if it's the most beautiful place on earth. And he says, you know, when you enter the inlet, it's a narrow entrance, there are rapids, you have to wait for the slack water, but then once you enter this narrow inlet, the mountains, they just rise 3,000 feet on both sides, and at the end of the inlet, there's a waterfall coming down from the top of the mountain, and it descends into Chatterbox Falls. Amazing! I'm also reading a travel guide, and in the travel guide it says, Princess Louisa Inlet is like a cathedral. You may enter an atheist, but you will come out a believer. <laughs> so I'm just like, wow, I want to see this inlet. And it was sublime, it was majestic. This the beauty of creation, what God has done. We want people to experience what we've experienced. We talk about what we love. So Andrew goes to Simon. And he excitingly declares to him, We have found the Messiah. Every Jew is waiting for the Messiah. Messiah, of course, is Hebrew for the Anointed One. In your text, it also says Christ. Christ is the Greek translation for Anointed One. John the Baptist, he refers to Jesus as the Lamb of God. Andrew refers to him as the Messiah. You'll find other titles for Jesus, the Messiah, in this text. How much do they understand at this point? We're not sure. Because as you read through the Gospels, you discover that Jesus isn't quite the person that the disciples expected him to be. But Jesus fills those titles with meaning as they follow him. Andrew believes he's found the Messiah. He leads his brother, Simon, to Jesus. Jesus takes one look at him and says, Hmm, you're Simon, son of John? You shall be called Cephas. Cephas is Aramaic for rock. Jesus not only sees who a person is, he sees who that person will become should they follow him. Jesus renames him. It's a prophetic word. You shall be called Cephas. Jesus will continue to speak to Peter in Matthew chapter 16. The disciples are with Jesus in Caesarea Philippi, and many people are saying different things about Jesus, and he asks his disciples, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter responds with this confession. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, it's the father that revealed that to you, Peter. You are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. On that confession. Peter had a very foundational role in the life of the early church, like other apostles and prophets. But when Jesus calls him Cephas, renames him, he's saying something about the role that he will play in the life of the church. It's not that he is the rock, he's not the foundation, only Jesus is, but Jesus is saying something about who he will become. John chapter 21, now Peter has been walking with Jesus for a bit longer. Jesus has died, rose again, Peter denied him three times, and Jesus comes up to Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Why does Jesus say it three times? He's restoring Peter. Peter, one of the callings on his life is to shepherd God's people. And if Peter is going to shepherd God's people, he needs to love Jesus because we are what we love. How can he shepherd God's people if he doesn't love Jesus? Cephas. That's who you will be, Peter. So Jesus knows the plans of the Father. For Simon... The son of John. His heart will be shaped along the way. He will become Cephas. What's the application for you and I? Sometimes we think that in order to be who we are, we need to walk independent of God and what other people might think. You know, just establish our identity, be who we really are. And it's almost as if, if should we allow God to really <laughs> enter our lives by his spirit and lead us forward, we'll become something that we're not. That's the lie. The truth is that we can only be who we were created to be, only discover who we are truly if we're in Jesus. God knows us much better than we know ourselves. And so one of the great invitations of Jesus is that he invites us to discover who we are. One of my friends in high school, he loved basketball. More than basketball, he loved winning. So, during a high school basketball game, he didn't agree with the officiating. He started to argue with the official. The official kicked him out of the game, sent him to the locker room. My friend was so enraged, he destroyed the locker room. And you might look at him on that day and say, Oh, my. Anger issues? Impulsive? I don't know. I think he's destined to be... And you fill in the blank. Some years later, he heard the invitation of Jesus to, to come and, and see, started to follow Jesus. He sensed God calling him to Africa. He went to Botswana, actually. And there he shared the love of Jesus with a lot of people. It was a time in Botswana when many people were uh, dying of AIDS, suffering from AIDS and dying. And so he spent a lot of time caring for people dying of AIDS, praying with them, doing their funerals. I remember praying with him, and he was weeping for the people of Botswana. So how does he go from being a man who destroys a locker room, enraged because of an official's decision, to... Loving the people of Botswana. He's now the president of a college here in Canada. You see, Jesus redirected his passion. Jesus knew who he could become. He has a calling for each one of us. And one of the great adventures of saying yes to Jesus is discovering who we truly are. The people that God created us to be. Well, the story continues. Let's go back to John chapter 1, verse 43. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus travels to Bethsaida. Bethsaida is a a city north of the Sea of Galilee. It's where the Jordan River enters into the sea. It's also the home of Andrew and Peter. And there in that town, Jesus finds Philip. He says, follow me. In the text now, we've kind of seen the two sides of discipleship. The Gospel of John teaches us that it's the Father who draws us to Jesus by the Spirit. But there's also on the part of disciples a searching. There's a yearning. There's a seeking. Jesus goes and finds Philip. Earlier, Andrew went to get his brother Peter. Philip goes and finds his friend Nathanael. Now, Nathanael, most commentators believe him to be Bartholomew. In the lists of the disciples in the Gospels, Philip and Bartholomew, they appear together. Bartholomew means son of Tholomaeus, and so his name was probably Nathanael, son of Tholomaeus. They appear together. Andrew and Philip often appear together as well. In John chapter 6, they have these discipleship moments together. In John chapter 6, there's a large crowd that is following Jesus. They're listening to his message, and it's getting late. They're in a remote place, and Andrew and Philip are wondering how is Jesus going to feed all these people? We'll study that story in a few months. John chapter 12, some Greeks, they come to meet Jesus and they they approach Andrew and Philip and Andrew and Philip take them, take those Greeks to Jesus and they hear Jesus say, if anyone serves me, he must follow me and where I am, there will my servant be also. It's a discipleship moment. little later, John chapter 14, Philip asks to see the Father. And that request, it just opens the door to this wonderful discourse where Jesus talks about his intimacy with the Father and his relationship with the Holy Spirit. The point being, Philip, Andrew, all of these disciples, they're learning to understand who Jesus is. That's what it means to be a disciple. Here Philip says, hey, we've found the one of whom Moses and the prophets wrote. We've found the anointed one of whom the scriptures speak. It's quite probable that Philip and Nathanael were studying the scriptures. He believes they've found the prophet. He says, he's Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And that's just the traditional Jewish way of introducing a person. You would name the village and the father. So he's Jesus of Nazareth, and he is the son of Joseph. And you hear Nathanael's response. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? He's a bit skeptical. You see, Nazareth was uh, just a little village in Galilee, maybe 2,000 people, not really known for anything. And Nathaniel was from Cana, another small village. So his question probably reflects some rivalry. I was born in a small village called Greendale, and across the canal there was another small village named Yarrow, and there was rivalry. Why, I don't know. I don't know what we were fighting over. But that's not uncommon right? And so it's quite possible here that Nathaniel asks the question, what good can come out of Nazareth? Because that's just the way people from his town think. What's Jesus, or what's Philip's invitation to him? He just repeats what Jesus, what he has heard Jesus say. Come, see, see for yourself. Do you see the relational pattern in the text? You know, we started with John the Baptist. He saw Jesus and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. And his disciples started to follow Jesus, Andrew and John. Andrew, he goes and finds his brother Peter. They're from Bethsaida. When they're in Bethsaida, Jesus finds Philip. And Philip goes and finds Nathaniel. If you're here today, it's probably because you're connected in some way with someone within the Willingdon Church family. Or if you're following Jesus, somebody somewhere along the way pointed you to him. That's the way it works in the kingdom. Jesus invites us through others. What a great privilege we have. If we know Jesus, we've come to love him, we're excited about him, we get to share that with other people. We want other people to discover what we've discovered, to experience what we've experienced. Nathaniel goes with Philip to meet Jesus. And Jesus, he immediately discerns Nathanael's character. You're an Israelite indeed. There's no deceit in you, no guile, no no cunning. You're a person of integrity. You may have questions, Nathanael, but you're honest in your questioning. And here again, I think there's an invitation for us today. We can come to God with our questions We can come to church with our questions, honest questions. Jude verse 22 says, have mercy on those who doubt. God is not afraid of our questions. As we go through life, it's not unusual. If we're awake, if we're alive, that questions arise. And those questions enable us to go deeper with Jesus. So Jesus invites us to ask questions. Nathanael continues to question Jesus, how do you know me? Jesus? And Jesus says in verse 48, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. For the Jews, under the fig tree, that was an expression for studying the scriptures. So it's quite probable that Nathanael was actually studying the Old Testament scriptures. He was searching. You see, if you are here today and you are searching, Jesus sees your heart. He knows your journey. He knows your questions. He's not afraid of them. Despite his skepticism Nathaniel was willing to go and see for himself and when he heard Jesus speaking to his heart he went from skeptic to believer he exclaims Jesus Jesus you are the Messiah you are the son of God that title son of God it's It speaks to the intimacy between the Father and Jesus, their their oneness, that unique relationship. And then he says, you are the king of Israel. Again, a title for the Messiah. Jesus will die as the king of the Jews. So Jesus says to Nathanael, Nathanael, you believe because I saw you under the fig tree? You will see much more than this, much greater things. And then Jesus turns to the disciples. Verse 51, this is what he says. You will see heaven opened. And the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. The you there, it's plural. You disciples, you're going to see heaven opened. You're going to receive a vision of God. These words, I'm sure they remind the disciples of a story that they know really well from the Old Testament. Genesis 28. In Genesis chapter 28, Jacob, he has a dream, a vision of God. Heaven is open for him. Genesis 28 verse 12. And he dreamed... And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac. The word behold is repeated there because we are to understand that Jacob is seeing something, he's receiving a vision. What's he seeing? Well, he sees a heavenly ladder. He sees that it touches the earth and it reaches into heaven and there are angels ascending and descending on it. And on the top of the ladder, he sees the Lord and the Lord says to him, I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. He sees a vision of Jesus. When Jacob interprets the dream, he declares, how awesome is this place? And he calls it the house of God, the place where heaven and earth meet. Bethel. So why does Jesus draw from this story? Well, because Jesus is the new Bethel. Where Jesus is, heaven and earth meet. Where Jesus is, God and humankind meet. Jesus is the revelation of the Father, the revelation of God. He is making God known. He refers to himself as the Son of Man. That's another title for the Messiah. God became man in Jesus. God identified with us in Jesus. That's the gospel. Jesus made God known. God made flesh, dwelling among us, revealing the Father. You know, if you've followed Jesus for a while, maybe you've become accustomed to that truth, to that miracle. But what a miracle. That God should become one of us. And how that changes our lives when we meet Jesus I had the privilege of visiting uh, two men uh, suffering from terminal cancer in the last couple of weeks. The first man that I visited, he's a member of this church family, and uh, I knew that he would be very weak, but, uh, you know, as I entered his room, I realized that he was actually filled with joy. You know what he testified He says, I've just been moved to this hospice. And again, I see God intervening in my life. I sense God's hand on my life. I can't wait to see Jesus. It's filled with hope. And then I went to meet the other man. And the other man, he doesn't believe in Jesus. He's an agnostic. He doesn't believe that God can be known. And his testimony was, I'm just trying to be positive. I ask you, I ask myself, who do we want to be? Do you want to be like the man filled with hope that has met Jesus or do you want to be the person that's facing death and says, I don't know. I'm just trying to be positive. The wonder of Jesus is that God has made himself known. That's why Jesus came. So in the gospel of John, as the disciples follow Jesus, he teaches. They see signs and wonders. But he doesn't just make God known in that way. He not only makes God known, he opens the way to the Father. He provides access to God. He bridges the gap between between heaven and earth. Jesus, he goes all the way to the cross. He's obedient. He dies. He takes our sin upon himself. He rises again. He's exalted to the right hand of the Father. And he does that so that we might be saved saved from sin and death so that we might become sons and daughters of God. So Jesus invites us to meet God. You may be saying, well, I'm not sure that that message is for me. You don't know my journey. You, You don't understand my pain. You don't understand how messed up my life is. That message, I think, is for people that kind of have it together. Judy and I are enjoying a uh, Netflix series called This Is Us. And in that series, there's an actor. Actually, in the the series, he is an actor. He's playing the role of an actor. Uh, He's trying to make it on Broadway. His name is Kevin. And there on Broadway, he gets to know a fellow actor by the name of Olivia. It's Thanksgiving, and so Kevin invites Olivia to come to their family Thanksgiving dinner. And this is how Olivia responds Oh no. I'm not spending Thanksgiving between the two slices of wonder bread that produced you. In other words, I really don't want to go to a fake family dinner where people are superficial and everybody's trying to be nice and smiling. And Kevin responds in this way, "My family, like wonder bread, we're like multigrain bread. But we're not that healthy." My mother is married to my dead dad's best friend. My adopted brother just discovered his biological father. My twin sister suffers from an eating disorder. Don't you want to see that? <laughs> and she goes and discovers family. Now, if you're visiting us today, we at Willingdon, we're not a Wonder Bread family. More like a multigrain family. But... You know, we come with our questions. We come with our doubts. We have found life in Jesus, but we are not people that have it altogether. We need Jesus. If you read the Gospel of John, you might think, well, John, <laughs> he started to follow Jesus, and right from day one, Jesus and John were just like this. John understood everything. Everything about Jesus, Jesus every thought, what Jesus felt, what Jesus' mission. John got it. Well, as you read the Gospels, you discover that John actually had some pretty dark things residing in his soul. He was after status and power. The Jews, they didn't like the Samaritans. The Samaritans practiced another religion. Uh, Kind of a, what the Jews understood to be a perversion of their own religion. They were kind of like half brothers, half sisters, did not like the Samaritans. So they're going through a Samaritan village, Jesus and his disciples, and Jesus is not very well received. How does John respond? Jesus, why don't we rain down fire from heaven on them? Just burn them. That's compassionate. John continues to follow Jesus after Jesus' death and resurrection and Pentecost. There's a movement to Jesus in Samaria. A whole bunch of Samaritans have come to faith in the city of Samaria. And John is, gone, is called to go pray for them, along with Peter. And Peter and John, they pray for the Spirit of God to descend <laughs> on those Samaritans. What a change! From asking the fire of heaven to come down and burn the Samaritans to praying that they receive the ultimate blessing. How does that happen? Well, John walked with Jesus and he learned to love the way Jesus does. He was drawn in by Jesus. As we follow Jesus, we're drawn in. And Jesus, He shows us the Father. He reveals God's heart to us. He removes our shame. He gives us a new name. He removes our guilt. All our sins are forgiven. There is no sin that Jesus doesn't forgive. Sometimes people think this way they think, oh, my life is unique. My sin is unique. Don't listen to that lie. <laughs> Jesus took all sin upon himself. He takes away our fears because we know he loves us. Nothing can take us from his hand, not even death. Fills our lives with purpose, with meaning. We receive healing. You see, the answer to our quest, the answer to our search is a person, and his name is Jesus. And Jesus says, come and you will see Amen? Let's stand for prayer. I'm going to pray a prayer for those who might want to just surrender their lives to Jesus today for the first time. You maybe have been on a journey and uh, today's the day you know that you need to turn from what you've been doing and turn to Jesus for forgiveness, for new life. And you want to open your heart to him. There's a prayer that's on the screens behind me. You can pray with me. Jesus, thank you for the invitation to know you. Please forgive me for leading my own life separate from you. Thank you for dying on the cross and paying the price for all my sin. I repent and I I surrender my whole life to you. I turn to you for forgiveness and new life. Jesus, I really need you. Lead me from this day forward. Fill me with your spirit. Set me free from all that binds me. Make me into the kind of person you created me to be. Jesus, I want to be like you. Father, thank you for adopting me into your family and gifting me with eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, please go to the Welcome Center or come forward. We would love to talk to you, pray with you, encourage you. And now a prayer for all of us. Lord, here we are, your people, your disciples. We don't follow you perfectly, but you have invited us in your grace. And we thank you. Thank you for inviting us to know you. Thank you for filling our lives with joy. Thank you for being present in our lives by your Holy Spirit. Thank you that you've invited us to discover who we are in you, that you actually have plans for our lives. Your will, it's so good. It's, it's perfect. It's, Oh God, may we discover who we are we are in you and follow your calling. May we invite others to know you as they ask their questions, Lord. May we be honest with our questions as well and may we together, Lord, discover who you truly are. May we meet you in the journey today uh, throughout the week. Thank you, Lord, that you don't leave us, that you're present by your Holy Spirit to counsel us, to teach us, to encourage us on and to correct us where we're wrong. So we thank you. And Lord, I pray that you would use Willingdon, this church family, for your glory in this city. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Go get a free hot dog.